All right, this is Tim Franks. Many of you know him already. He's a dear brother in the Lord. He's from Eureka Bible uh, Church in Eureka. Fancy, right? It's good to have your town name in there. Um, and uh, Tim, is, is, uh, he's preached here a few times, but I'm grateful for the opportunity to have you hear the same word from a different voice. Again, right? We talked last week. We come to hear the word, not the preacher. But we need preachers like Tim that can preach God's word faithfully and, and help us see Jesus in the midst of it. So I'm thankful that Tim's going to do that this morning. And I'm going to turn it over to him. He's going to pray for us before we get started. Well, good morning. It is wonderful to be back here in Monunk with you at Redeemer Community Church. Um, I just wanted to start this morning by saying that this past week um, in my devotional, I, one of the devotional books I use is by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he always seems to be able to find a way to cut me deeper to my heart than most people that I read or listen to. Um, uh, it, it just was a powerful word that I just wanted to share with you as, before we go to prayer. Uh, so he was talking about the idea of the receiving of God's word. And we're getting ready to, this is including myself, we are getting ready to receive God's word this morning. And he says often that we come to it with a wrong motive. Um, He really cut me to the heart because he was talking about the fact that often when he came to God's word, he would just start dissecting it. How can I teach this? How can I preach it? How can I, you know, make this into a good message? Instead of receiving it, I'm dissecting, and that's what I tend to do as a pastor sometimes. It's just like, how can I use this to teach my students or preach a sermon, or how can I dissect this passage instead of what he says? Like, if we receive an encouragement or a rebuke or a a challenge from a loved one, we chew on it, right? We meditate, we think about it. We don't just dissect it and say, okay, let's take this apart and do this. And so he said, that's how we should learn to receive God's word. Or he said that maybe sometimes we will desire to receive God's word in a way of trying to find something to fit our theology or fit what I want to, it to say right now. Instead of receiving it and letting the Spirit dictate to us what does it mean, what is he wanting to rebuke us or challenge us or encourage us with, we tend to want to just make it fit into our little box of what we want in that moment. And so he challenged me this week, and I hope it'll challenge you, is that We need to prepare ourselves to receive God's word, that we are going to be engaged with it, and we are going to allow the spirit to dictate what it is that it's going to do with our hearts, not us trying to put on it what what, what it's going to happen, that I'm expecting this. No, we are waiting. We are waiting to receive God's word. Passage of scripture that came to mind when I thought about that was uh, Isaiah chapter 40. It says, a voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? This is verse 6 of Isaiah 40. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word of God stands forever, and it stands in a way that the Spirit is leading and guiding it into our lives, into our hearts, into our minds. Not we are dictating what it's going to say or what it's going to do for us. It does it to us because the Spirit is working in us. He lives inside of us as believers. And so we need to be ready this morning to receive God's word. That I, I want to prepare my heart this morning to receive God's word even as I speak it. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's remind ourselves that we need to be ready to receive God's word this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to humbly come before your throne. Lord, we don't deserve this. We don't deserve to even have another breath of life, but Lord, you have given it to us. 
and all the things of this earth fade away, but your word stands. So Lord, help us set aside any distractions that we might have this morning, anything that might get in the way of us being able to receive your word, to engage in it, to meditate on it, to hear what it is that you want to speak to us. Lord, help us not to come with preconditions on what we're expecting from God's word this morning, but be ready to receive it as your spirit dictates it to be received this morning. So help us to do that. Help us to be ready for it. Help it, even if it's a rebuke or a challenge, that we are ready to receive it and receive it with joy. Lord, if we're being encouraged this morning, I pray that it'll be encouragement that we can spread to others. And Lord, that I pray that this, this is a, a morning where we really learn deeply how to receive your word, to be ready for it each and every Sunday, each and every Wednesday, wherever, whatever day of the week it is when we're having our devotions in the morning, in the evening, in the middle of the day, whenever we're having that, Lord, that we are always preparing our hearts to receive your word, that we are ready for it, that we are ready to have your spirit guide us as we receive your word. So help us to do that this morning, Lord. Help me to step, step aside and let your word go forward. Lord, let the words of my mouth be glorifying to you and leading others towards receiving the word in a way that, that does glorify your name. Lord, I am thankful for this morning's story from Genesis. Lord, I am thankful for what we can learn from Noah's life in this story. And more so, what we can learn about your work, what you are doing, how we need to trust and rely on you because you are the one that give us rescue. You are the one that give us salvation. So Lord, help us this morning to receive your word and be ready to be challenged, rebuked, encouraged, and led by you. Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for everything that you do with it. Lord, lastly, I just want to pray for this church. Lord, I, I love Redeemer Community Church. I love Eric and the other leaders of this church, the disciple makers. I love that word, disciple makers of this church. Lord, help everyone in this room to be a disciple maker in this community, in their homes, in this church. Lord, I'm thankful for their kids program launching again today. I pray that will be a blessing to this church long term. Lord, thank you for those that are volunteering and helping to make this happen. Continue to strengthen that, that ministry of this church. And Lord, I just pray that you will continue to strengthen Redeemer Community Church in this community. Help it to be a light um, to those around this community. And I just pray that you will see Manunk have a revival because of what's happening in this church. Lord, I'm so thankful to, and humbled to be in your presence this morning, and I pray that we, as we go to the study of your word, Lord, that we will be ready for it. We pray all these things in your great and gracious name. Amen. Again, it's, it's wonderful to be with you here this morning. I want to bring greetings from our church, Eureka Bible Church. We are so grateful to have a partnership in the gospel with your church um, again, I, I see your pastor, Eric, as, as a brother. I mean, we are just, I, I've just been unbelievably thankful for his relationship over the last couple of years being here. It's just, we get to meet monthly and spend time together and, and, and just pray together. And I, I've been able to get, even though I haven't been here, I've been able to get a full a feel of what you've been doing with this Genesis series because we've been talking through the sermons a lot. So it's just been really cool to hear um, his passion and his heart for preaching this book. Um, this the first book of the Bible, and so I, I'm thankful for the opportunity. Thank you, Eric, for giving me a chance to come and be here with you this morning. It, it's just a, it's just a great blessing. And so we we pray for your church often, um, both as our as a church, Eureka Bible Church does 
our student ministry often prays for you, and then um, us as a family, you are often on our prayer list to pray um, during our family worship time. So we're very uh, grateful to have the opportunity to be here this morning. So I'm wondering this morning, how many of you have ever seen the game Deal or No Deal? Some of you seen that game before? Yeah? Seen that on TV or um, Howie Mandel, you know, is kind of the host of the show and he... Um, it, basically, the, the gist of the game is, is that they have this board up there of 25 boxes, and in that has number, money from, a, I think, a dollar all the way up to like a million dollars or whatever, however you can, much you can win. Um, and so in that game, what you're trying to do is you have to try to get rid of the, the boxes that have the low numbers so you can try to win as much. And so there's a guy that's shadowed, you can't see him. And they call they called the banker and ask him, you know, what, how much are you going to offer them? And then they can do, they have a little red thing and they can do deal or no deal. Um, actually, this past summer at Summer Retreat, um, we, we actually did that game with our students. And it was quite fun seeing them trying to figure out, should I take this deal or should I not? So it's, it's kind of a, a fun game to watch or, or play. And so I titled this morning's sermon, Let's Make a Covenant. Because we're going to be talking about God's renewal of his covenant. And I think often we see uh, covenant like that game, deal or no deal, is that we, we kind of are in this back and forth with God. Like if we do this thing, we can maybe make this deal with him on the side or do this thing. And so we, we think, and I think sometimes the Israelites kind of treated it that way too, that they just kind of felt like if I do all these sacrifices or do these things, I can make this deal with God. But what I want us to see this morning is that we are not doing that with God. God is making this covenant with us because he loves us and he cares for us and he wants to redeem us. It's not that we are doing anything, really, that can, we can't earn it. We can't honor the, any kind of, on a deal that is going to make where we can go back and forth with him and make a deal. So often we do that, but he does not do that. That's not the way he works with us. If we give, he will give us what we want. If we do these things, he will give us what we want. No. He does it out of his love and his grace and his mercy for us. And so we're going to kind of see how that works out. So you uh, know that um, Luke was preaching last week, and you guys were in the, the kind of the flood narrative, the story of the flood happening. Noah and his family um, were in the flood, and then they, they came out of it. Um, so what happened was God told Noah and his family to come back onto the dry land. That's kind of where we're coming, and you see that obedience. One of the things that I want to highlight uh, that will kind of link Luke and I's passage together from last week is Pastor Luke kind of talked about the idea uh, first of God kind of being God of the details, you know, how God kind of works through those things. Like he, he's very, or like very minute details. God is in those things. God is working things out. And you've probably seen it in your own life too, right? That God often works in those, those details. And you see that in this whole story with the flood and how, how everything came about with the animals. God was very much in the details. Um, he embraced the opportunity to, and, and we've, we've been given the opportunity to participate with God. Not only is he part of those details, he allows us to be a part of that. He allows human beings to be a part of the work that he's been doing. Luke talked about that last week of how gracious God is to allow us to be a part of the work that's being done. He wants to partner with us in the, in, in the work that is being done for his glory. But also, I, I really latched on to the idea of the nearness of God. How God is the God of our faith is so different than any other religion. You can find a transcendent God in a diamond dozen in, in all the different types of religions, a God that's far away from everyone. But what's so unique about our faith is the nearness of God. 
And you really just see that in the flood narrative and the way that God interacts with Noah, how he interacts with the people, how he is just so detailed in the way that he saves all the different animals and all the different things happening. So you see that God is, is near. God desires for our relationship. Um, he, he wants it. He wants to be with us. He wants us to partner with it. And so when we decide to go away from him and sin and do our things, we are separating ourselves from that desire that God has for us to be with him, to work with him in those ministries when we decide to walk away from him. And so this morning, I really want us to see as we really jump into this passage is that God is really desiring to have a relationship with us and he wants to covenant with us and he wants us to work with him for his glory. That's what we we're going to see this morning. And so we're going to look at the, the post-flood uh, narrative in three acts. We're going, to, we're going to look at it in three different acts. So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to start in, in Genesis chapter 8. We'll be in the last few verses there of Genesis chapter 8. That's where we'll start this morning. Starting in verse 20. And then we're going to go looking in three different acts through chapter 9, verse 17. So let's read here in uh, Genesis chapter 8, starting in verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So you see here in this first act, uh, coming right out of the ark after God, they were obedient, Noah and his family were obedient to do exactly as he has done all along. He's done exactly as God has told him to do. He's told him to, him and the animals are time to come out of the ark. And so when he comes out of the ark, um, what do you think would be the first thing you would do? If you came out of the ark, what would be the, your first thing to do, right? You're going to jump on land, like, hey, we're on land again, right? Celebration, we get to, and, and maybe he did that a little bit. Um, but I, I just think it's important for us to understand that uh, Noah is a very special godly man. We will find out with Tom Swanson's passage next week that he's not perfect, right? But we know that he is a very godly man who's very faithful to the Lord. And so what is the first thing he does? Sorry, guys, I'm trying to get this to stay on here. But uh, I, I just, I, I really want you to see that he is doing a very faithful thing. The very first thing that he thinks to do when he comes out of the ark is what? Is to do a sacrifice. To uh, praise the Lord in a sacrifice and, and being thankful for the fact that God has saved him and rescued him on the, on the ark. I want you to think of what are some of the things, the first things you might do when somebody's done something very special for you. Maybe you write them a thank you note. Maybe you give them a hug. Maybe you um, give them a gift as a thank you for what they've done for you. I remember one, the time when I left the church in North Carolina before I came here. Um, every, a lot of people know I love to read, and Charles Dickens is one of my favorite authors. And the church there gave me this really special, very expensive copy of Charles Dickens' book, Great Expectations, which is my favorite of his books. And I was, it was such a thoughtful thank thank you gift when I was leaving the church there, and I, I was just very thankful for something like that. And so there, we, we tend to do things like that, but when you come out of the ark, when you've been through what they've been through, I don't know that in my mind that would have been the first thing I would have thought to do 
is I'm going I'm to make a sacrifice as a thank you offering for what the Lord has done for me. But that is, that is, that is exactly what Noah did. We just read it, right? He, re- reminded, he, he responded by giving a special gift by sacrificing some of the animals that came off the ark, right? That, that's, that's pretty sacrificial, right? They don't even have that much now because the earth is basically starting over and it, those animals are there. But he offers a sacrifice, the very first act um, coming off the rescuing ark is, is to sacrifice to the Lord. So he builds this altar and makes a sacrifice with, with the species of the animals and birds that came off. And so I think we see this, this act in two ways. One, I just mentioned it, right? Gratitude. We do it out of thankfulness because of what God does for us. And I, I think we need to learn to do that better. We need to learn to be willing to to really be thankful and have show gratitude towards what the Lord has done for us. And that's the way that we live, and that's the way we, you know, sacrifice certain things, sacrifice time for people because of what they have done for us. But the Lord specifically is being shown gratitude here. But I also see this act as, as kind of the idea of atonement, right? Um, something that you'll see patterned in Leviticus later in the Bible. Uh, but I think the, the force of it here is the idea of the great importance of the sacrifice of God's redemptive plan. That's what you're seeing here, is that not only is it gratitude, but it's also this atonement idea. That it, it, the, the passage even mentions it there, if you read it there in, in verse 21. Um, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So even in Noah's great faithfulness, he's not perfect, right? There's still an idea of, of that sacrifice, that sacrificial system that's coming that the Israelites will use. And this is kind of almost instilling or the first time we're seeing that, that sacrificial system coming into place that, that, that those animals are being sacrificed as a gratitude but also as the idea of atonement because we need, we need God. We need God's atonement. And so that's what we're seeing there. So how does God respond to that? It uses very interesting words, pleasing aroma. So it's like the, the smell of the sacrifice is like a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Like it, it, it's, it's a very interesting, it wouldn't have been the words that I would have thought of that would come from that. But the Lord is pleased. That's what the Hebrew word here says, that the Lord is pleased, a pleasing aroma. In fact, what's interesting is that aroma word is actually in the Hebrew very close to Noah's, Noah's name, which means rest. So it's like this idea of, of rest, the idea of soothing of God's anger. So that's where we get that atonement idea. That's that soothing of God's anger towards the sin seen in full force. That you know, because that's what led to the flood, right? Was what was happening before there, all that sin and that ugliness the, that was happening, and so that idea of soothing of God's anger through that atonement, through that sacrifice, which again is pointing long term, right? We're looking to the cross. It's that everything is pointing towards the cross there with that atoning idea. This is an instilling of the sacrificial system that will happen in Leviticus and throughout the Israelites' history. But then it points to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus gives us on the cross, the death and resurrection that leads to that type of sacrifice. So at the end of this passage, you see that it leads to God setting up a covenant with his people. He says he never again will curse the land, and we'll talk about this in a moment again, but he will never curse again with a flood like this in spite of the fact that there will be coming more times where in the very next section of this that there'll be, you're already going to start seeing it, that man can't stay away from sin. They're, gonna, they're just going to keep doing it. Their intentions are always going to be bad because of the sin nature. Bes- despite that, God still wants to make a covenant with his people. 
he wants to see atonement through sacrifice, but he, he, he desires that relationship with us. He wants to covenant with us despite our evil intentions and our sins. And that, that should humble us as a reminder that, that God still loves us even in our sin. He still wants a relationship with us. He still wants a covenant with us. I think of the idea of that we don't, we don't necessarily, we're, we're not doing the sacrificial system anymore. We're not taking animals and putting them on an altar and killing them as a part of a sacrifice. But I do think that because of Jesus' sacrifice, because we're on this side of the cross, there's a way that God calls us to sacrifice. What does Romans 12 say? It calls us to be a living sacrifice. Like literally our bodies, ourselves, our soul, we are a living sacrifice. We are to offer up our lives for others and for the gospel. And so that, we may not respond in the way that Noah did here, but there is a way for us to, to respond like Noah, and that's by offering our bodies up as a living sacrifice, because that's who we are as Christians. That's what we are called to do. You know, we just came off 9-11, and I was just thinking of, I don't know why, but 9-11 just hit me a lot harder this year. I don't know if it was because it was the 20-year anniversary or, or what, but I, I just... Thought, thought a lot of t all day that day. I was just kind of pondering and just thinking about everything that happened, and um, you know, it was it was very very sad that three thousand people lost their lives that day. But I also was reminded by the fact that of the firemen and the police and all the people that sacrificed so much to, so that seventeen thousand people survived. So seventeen thousand out of twenty thousand. I mean, obviously, it's still very sad how many people died. But that many people were saved because of the sacrifice that was, that was made on behalf of all those people. But God offers us atonement through the sacrificial lamb of his son, Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection offers us something even more than even our physical body life, but spiritual salvation. And I think this passage points to that. I think it reminds us of that. And tells in Romans 12 again tells us to be a living sacrifice as we live out our lives. So that's the, that's the end of the first act. So we're going to move to the second act now. We'll be starting in Genesis chapter 9. So we're going to be looking at his renewed covenant. So one of the things I wanted to make sure and understand is that we under, know what the definition of a covenant is. That we know what a covenant means. So the ESV Bible commentaries it has a pretty good definition, I think. It says, formally binding two parties together in a relationship on the basis of a mutual agreement or a personal commitment. There would always be a consequence if that covenant is not, you know, the parties don't follow through with the, whatever the terms were that were made in the covenant. So it's kind of like a, it's kind of something that's coming together to formally bind, and a lot of times they'll have something at stake, right? So that's why there would be consequences if you don't follow it, something they're going to put in there, something that each person party is going to put in. If, if I don't follow through, I have to give up this or these type of things. So that's kind of what a covenant is. It's a mutual agreement, a personal commitment that two parties come together, that they're going to both follow through with what the terms are in that. And so that's what we're going to see uh, this morning, uh, see how different it is when God does a covenant. So let's follow, if you follow along with me, we're going to read verses 1 through 11 of Genesis chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with 
its life, that is its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. For every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his, his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And he shall be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on earth, and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So we, this is the, basically the renewing and even cha- some changing of the covenant that's been made between God and man here. God has promised has provided, actually, provided the covenant promise to Noah and God's people already in, in the previous verses. We, he kind of started talking about that. And then if you go back, I mean, obviously some of the language you're hearing is probably something you recognize from previous, from Genesis, right? Because some of this stuff was being talked about in chapter one, about image bearing, being fruitful and multiplying, those type of things. You're, gonna, you're, you're seeing the language from Genesis 1, 28 through 30 again. That parallels there. But you're seeing that there's something a little different right? Because we're on the other side of Genesis 3. We're on the other side of the sin, sin coming and entering. So that it's a little bit different now, right? So one of the things that you see that's different here is just that kind of idea of, of that man would be feared by the beasts of the earth and also that we have the right to kill and to eat animals. That, that was something that you did not see in Genesis chapter 1, something that is happening different here. Um, you also kind of see um, that, of course, things are going to be different coming off sin. It's not going to be exactly the same as it was then. So so many things have changed. But the gracious thing you do see here is that God is still desiring covenant. He's still desiring for us to have dominion. He's still desiring for us to be fruitful and multiply. That's, That's grace. I think we should just sit here in awe of God's grace right now because of that. We, we, don't, we don't deserve that. We don't, we, we, that. Noah and his family even didn't deserve that. But God is, is setting up and resetting up and giving us a reminder of how graceful he is to us. I've often said to our students that we need to remind ourselves of the gospel every single day. It needs to be in front of us. And we need to read the scriptures. We need to pray every day that God would keep the gospel in front of us. Because we tend, we're fickle. We forget it. We don't remember it. We kind of stray away from it. We need that gospel in front of us. And that's what this covenant, God is showing us that this covenant isn't this, what I defined earlier from the ESV commentary. It's not this total back and forth thing, right? Of course, God wants us to follow through with it, but he isn't going to break it necessarily just because we break it. He's not going to just run away from us and end it and be done with it, even though that's what we deserve. It says, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us, right? While we are still yet sinners, and he still loves us, even when we break his covenant, which we do pretty much every single day. God still wants to covenant with us. He still wants a relationship with us, and he proves it here, right? The, the world had been terrible and awful, and that's why he sent that worldwide flood. But he still wants to covenant with his people. And even when Moses does, I mean, when Noah does horrible things, when Moses does horrible things, when uh, David, and go down the line in Old Testament, in the New Testament, and to modern days, 
we are messing up, we are sinning, we are doing things that we shouldn't be doing, we are breaking the covenant with God, but God still loves us. He forgives us, and even though we don't deserve it. So we, we just need to stand in awe of the, the grace of God. He actually kind of extends in this, in this talking of the covenant a little bit more about the image-bearing idea, because he does talk about how we are created in God's image in Genesis 1. But here... He, because we're on this side of sin, right? So there wasn't murder and that stuff happening yet. So he says in verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. God takes very seriously the image bearing idea. And that's from conception all the way to the dying breath of someone. God cares about the image bearing people that he has created. He cares about all of us. And that we as Christians should be so distinct in that. It should be so obvious to the world how distinct we are about how we view image, the image bearers of God, who we are. We need to take all human life as sacred. No matter what people look like or what they've done to us or what's happening in the world, we are to take image bearing serious as God has done here. He is serious about if a man takes a man's life their life is to be taken. That is a very serious thing that he says there because he says, for God man made man in his own image. He takes image-bearing seriously and so should we. And I, I often think about how Jesus even takes that idea of murder further when he is talking on the Sermon of the Mount, right? He says even when we have thoughts of anger thoughts of hatred towards people. It's as if we're murdering them. I mean, that, that's how serious God takes our relating to people that are image bearers. That we, when we're hating and we're angry in our thoughts, it's leading us towards that thinking of murder. And so I want us to be reminded this morning that God cares about his image bearers and you are one of them. He cares about you and he cares about the people that you are relating to that he has placed in your life. So he also, in this passage, kind of outlines the covenant. Um, some of the promises that he makes is kind of reestablishing of the image bearing, like I said, to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, and again, he has said this over and over in this passage, but he's reminding us that never again will he destroy the earth with a flood like this. Never again will this happen. That type of judgment that God will, will never, will, he will never do that to the earth again. And I think he says it over and over again because he probably wonders, maybe wonders a little bit if we would think that. Because sometimes when we're around the earth, we might kind of think that maybe there, God does, maybe God just judged this all. This is terrible. Maybe this past year and a half has just been so rough. You're just like, God, I'm ready to be done with this. Return and be done with it. But God, God promises us that he will not judge the earth like that again doesn't mean he's not going to judge the earth. It's just not going to be this way, not in a, a worldwide flood type way like this. So again, I just, I want us to, 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 to care deeply today about what's, that, that God is wanting to covenant with us, even though we don't deserve it, even though he could just start over and just be done with it, he still wants to covenant with us. And that, that's a daily thing for us as Christians that we need to think about that he still wants us. Because there's going to come days in your life where you're going to think, I'm not worthy. And the answer would be, I would shake my head, yes, you're not worthy, I'm not worthy either. But God wants to have a covenant with you. He wants to relate with you. He wants to be with you. And he wants you to work with him, like Luke was talking about last week. He's protecting us, but he's also wanting us to be a part of his work. He wants us to go forward with him. 
So if you're here this morning and you're feeling like maybe a little down in the dumps spiritually, allow this passage to remind you that he wants to be in relation with you. He wants to covenant with you. So that's kind of the end of Act 2. So Act 3, starting in verse 12. Let's read verse 12 of chapter 9. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So I have actually had the opportunity to see rainbows, which is the sign we're talking about today, in a, a couple of really cool places. And I, I just, uh, before I talk about that, I, my parents were, had done a really good job, even from as a young child, of every time that we would see a rainbow, we would, we would talk about God's goodness in some kind of way, or God's promises. He would always talk about how God, my dad, I remember talking how much he would say eternal promises all the time. He would, I remember asking my dad, what's eternal mean? You know, because I didn't understand what that meant. And so God, you know, really used my dad to, to teach me God's promises through the rainbow. So anytime we saw a rainbow anywhere... So some of the places, that the, the Lord has allowed me to travel in so many different places in my life. Uh, but I remember very distinctly one time when I was, uh, my, both of my parents lived several years on Oahu and, and Hawaii. And so there's this place called the Pali Highway on Oahu that kind of goes up in the mountains where you can look, you can, the Pali lookout is where you can look over the entire island um, up, up high, up in the mountains. And so I remember there distinctly being one time where there was this gigantic rainbow that was just covering the whole valley of, of, of the Wahoo there. And it was, it was just beautiful. I also remember um, on, I went on Romania missions trips when I was in middle school, high school, college years. And so there's a very beautiful area of, in the middle of Romania where a lot of the uh, Hungarian Romanians live. And it's called Transylvania. You probably have, will hear of it because people think of Dracula and they have a castle there and stuff where you can visit. But um, it's just beautiful, green, lush mountains. And I remember one time we were driving there on a mission trip when I was in high school. There's this gigantic rainbow just again in the valley, just, just over there. And, and it reminded me of God's eternal promises. And the last place I saw one was actually when I was in the, the day I was at the Temple Mountain, Israel. It just stopped raining. And you could, I was looking over at the Temple Mountain. There's just this big rainbow there. And I just, I, I don't know why the Lord kept putting me in places that were like that where I could see the rainbow, but I think I do know. It's because it's those eternal promises he's trying to remind me of, how, gr how grand he is and how he follows through on everything he promises us. And, and that's what we see here is that not only does he covenant with us, but he gives us a sign of that covenant. How gracious is that? That God gives us something to remind us every single time that that happens. I was actually kind of hoping I'd see one this morning because, you know, we, it was raining and stuff, but I didn't quite see one this morning. I was kind of hoping I would. Uh, but I, I really am just, just so humbled by the fact that God shows this promise in this passage. So this, this covenant sign is the rainbow that we, it, it's kind of a reminder to all future generations of God's promise that he would never judge the earth like that again. 
it's also a reminder of God's promises in general, but I, I see it as, as God's grace. I, I think of God's grace a lot when I, when I see a rainbow. The purpose of, because that, that, that is the purpose of our life is to glorify his name. And so when we see those promises, we see God working in our life with his grace. We can see it so directly because, he, because of this verse, these passages, we can see this is exactly what God's doing. He's working. He's, doing, he's, he's, he's not done with us. He's not stopping with us. Even though we deserve it and we can own that, we also can own the fact that God is gracious and he loves us and he wants to have a covenant with us. He wants that relationship. This, is, this passage is a refresher for mankind, a chance to live out, again, that great mandate of being fruitful and multiply. So again, even when we fall, when we sin, when we are down in the dump spiritually, take this passage as a reminder as you go throughout living your life that we have been given second chance. We've been given an opportunity through Christ, through his death and resurrection, that we will never be judged like that, spiritually speaking. The worst thing that could happen to us is it maybe be physically, physically dying, but we, we cannot lose our spiritual health. God won't judge us like that. And even the rainbow can be, a, even though it's a specific sign for this covenant, it can also be a reminder to us of God's, all of God's promises of grace to all of us. We all have sinful hearts. We all deserve God's judgment, but God is gracious to us. And he is gracious to Noah and his family. He's gracious to the earth here as he renews this covenant. He establishes this covenant and you will see, as you will go through the rest of the Old Testament and into the New Testament, you'll see that God is using these types of signs to help to remind us. Because, again, we're fickle. We run away from God. We forget. And so we need reminders. And so, you know, example, for the Abrahamic covenant, they had, this, they had circumcision. That was kind of the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. Um, the Mosaic one was like Sabbath. Sabbath was kind of the, the sign of the, the Mosaic covenant. And there's a lot of debate about the new covenant, which the new covenant is kind of what we're living under. Um, you know, some people, th I think that we would all sort of agree that the Lord's Supper has something to do with it because Jesus talks about that when he's instituting the Lord's Supper, that it's, it's a sign of the new covenant. Uh, but people talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, water baptism, those type of things can be linked uh, to the new covenant as well. So God is gracious again to give us those signs to remind us of how gracious he is and how much he's going to follow through. So God is both powerful and graceful as he, as he makes these signs, as he makes this covenant with his people. It's a refresher to us. And it's a reminder to us of the fact that we are new creations. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are created for good works. We are created as new creations. We are new. We are made new. And even when we sin, when we fall, we can be made new again through forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as this refresher of this new, the, the covenant here with, with Noah coming out of the ark can be a reminder to us of us as new creations. Every single time we ask for forgiveness and we fall, when we sin, we, can, we, we are um, renewed. We are brought into a closer relationship with the Lord. It's not, a, it's not like... It's a salvation thing, right? Salvation thing is a one-time. One-time salvation, we are saved, we are renewed in that way. But every, every time we ask for forgiveness, there's 
a renewal, a kind of starting back, getting reconnecting with God and, and doing and having that deeper relationship with Him. So we have these three acts. That's the end of the third act. So we have these three acts today. We we had the first act, where coming out of the ark, the first thing He does is He sacrifices as in gratitude and an atonement. The second act we see is the renewal of the covenant. The covenant he's making with Noah is renewing with God's people. And then in the third act is that gracious sign of the rainbow is a reminder to us of God's eternal promises never failing. So my call to you this morning is to go from here ready to face this tough world with the distinctive sacrificial living that brings great glory to God because of the reminder of what he has done for us what he is always going to do for us, how eternal this is for our lives. Everything for us that's promised in Scripture will be given to us. Nothing will fail. God is great. He is gracious. And we need to live sacrificially and distinctive from this world in order to bring him glory. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you this, so much for this morning and opportunity to, to dig into your word. Lord, it is... It is hard for me to accept at times how gracious you are, how much you love me when I don't deserve it. I, I just, I'm humbled. I, I, don't, I don't know why you chose me, Lord, but I am thankful for it. Lord, allow my life, allow the lives of these people in this room this morning to be a living sacrifice for you going forward. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that is feeling just kind of down spiritually right now, Lord, I pray that they will feel renewed to stand in your grace this morning to be reminded of how much you promised them forgiveness and grace that they don't deserve, but they, that you give them because you love them. So Lord, just encourage, challenge, rebuke us where we need to be from this word. Help us to receive it in a way that we chew on it, meditate on it, engage in it. And Lord, I am thankful for your great grace in my life and your eternal promises that will never fail. As we go to a time of, of singing and response, Lord, I pray we will respond in a way that brings glory to you. Lord, you are a great God and we love you. Thank you for caring for us enough to send your son to die on a cross and rise on the third day so that we can have eternal life and that we can have the example of being a living sacrifice. Thank you so much for these things. We pray all this in your great and gracious name. Amen.